2, The Power of More from Brockmeier and Zalo. Innovation Thinking Today's episode is about open source and decentralization. We are talking about so-called DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, which are entities with no central leadership, a very interesting way of reorganizing social structures. Before we get our guest into the conversation, I would like to introduce the co-host of the podcast, Dieter Brockmeier, the innovation expert at the Diplomatic Wool Institute. Hello, Dieter. How are you today? Oh, I... Uh... Uh, absolute pleasure to be here again, and again having the fabulous guest with us, uh, Gordon. We only met uh, recently at Barcelona first, and then Malta, and we had a blast uh, on the stage together. And it's absolutely great. And what I like about Gordon very much is that he also sees the dark sides of new technologies. Even he's an advocate for the positive sides, but he also sees the uh, negative things. Uh, we had a long talk about uh, the the risk of blockchain and also uh, uh, open source, of course, very often is constructed on a very uh, weak base and everything is co constructed around it. So there that, that can be potentially a lot of risk. And uh, therefore, I really enjoy uh, this upcoming conversation. Cool, but now to our special guest, Gordon Einstein, who is the founding partner of Crypto Law Partners. Hello, Gordon. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you so much. And I'm happy to be here. And yes, these are topics that are near and dear to my heart. So I appreciate the opportunity. Cool. Crypto Law Partners sounds interesting. What is this about? Uh, it's sort of my brand for the legal practice. I'd say that there's three main buckets involved. Um, one is I'm heavily involved in the Casper blockchain project um, as an advisor and also as a voting associate in what's called the developers DAO or DevX DAO. I'm actually a DAO member. And interestingly enough, this DAO's mission is to give grants out in support of open source software development. So this is, it's a perfect combination of DAOs and open source, which I think is of course highly relevant to everything we're talking about. Um, I also, have some time to advise on other projects. And the third thing I do under the crypto law brand, if you like, is I do a lot of public speaking and advocacy relating to blockchain, crypto, DAOs, regulation, and the need for humanity to move faster and better into the future. So as Dieter pointed out, I'm a big advocate of progress and change technology, but I also am cognizant of the dark sides, plural, and what I try to do is maneuver us, give, provide nice roadmaps where we can maximize the benefits and minimize the downsides and, and accomplish what we're all supposed to accomplish as humans. What are the basic characteristics of DAOs, Gordon? So let's parse apart the acronym, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. I'll, st I'll start with organization. It's something, it's a way of organizing groups of people to act together in pursuit of a common goal or mission. That's different from a series of peer-to-peer -peer transactions where I'm sending you something and we're, and we're done. It's allowing us to create an institution that exists over time and space, that has sort of memory and has capability. And this organization exists on the blockchain and not in the traditional physical world. So that's what I mean when I say organization in, in, the, in DAO. And then I'll go to the beginning, decentralized. Um, we're used to these sort of command and control 
pyramidal top-down type structures. That's the traditional way of organizing human affairs. As technology has developed, we've seen these pyramids flatten and become more cooperative, if you like. Decentralized is taking that to an extreme like with Bitcoin. And autonomous means that it has its own economy. It's not dependent on some other structure to exist and survive. So a DAO, decentralized autonomous organization, is a on-blockchain organization that fulfills these other criteria. Cool. Can you give us an example of a DAO? Uh, sure. There's one that I'm involved in that I love. So I, this is easy. Uh, it's called the Developers DAO or the DevX DAO. Um, it's a DAO that received a large grant of tokens from Casper Networks. And its mission is to make grants in support of open source software development. So we all in the DevX DAO vote through a certain system called MVPR to make grants to developers to develop open source software and release it under an open source license. And this DAO doesn't exist in a traditional legal sense. It has a legal wrapper, uh, the ETA, which I mentioned before, the Emerging Technology Association, but it's a true DAO. Uh, and so it's, it's a beautiful example. And I'll just add also a lot of DeFi protocols use DAOs as a governing mechanism. Well, you just posted on social media this nice little cartoon uh, yeah. about the weaknesses of open source. I mean, open source is a very good thing, and uh, a lot of people can get involved with interesting projects with uh, no major cost, and things can progress very rapidly because everybody is uh, adding to it. But on mm -hmm. the other side, of course, very often the base is uh, kind of weak, and um, this, of course... Uh, can add can create a lot of problem uh, along the time when the uh, things become more and more complex. So mm -hmm. how can we how, how can we deal with this? Is this is a really a risk for the open source project. Hmm. Uh, how can we deal with it? Well, there there's a structural issue. So o open source is obviously great, um, I, and the ideal world, I'd have everything be free and open source or FOSS uh, software. The um, and, it, and it's based on people volunteering their time and expertise to make it happen, basically giving it away. That's, that's a, no matter how enthusiastic someone is about a project, it's hard to maintain that level of commitment over years and years and years, especially if you have bills to pay and a family and everything else. It becomes a labor of love, but sometimes you know, when there's just a nonstop pitter-patter, we, we always see this. We always see worthwhile projects, some personality starting it, they get busy. There's a community that formed around that project, but no one really steps up or no group really steps up. And then this project goes on to zombieware, but it's been so integrated into so many other platforms that it can cause problems. I think we're seeing that with, with, with the Log4j bug right now, which is what you saw in the cartoon or in the in the graphic. You, it's, it's just we there's a fundamental challenge, which is the thing that makes open source awesome and great is people donating their time. The thing that makes it vulnerable is that people are not being paid. And so you don't have this incentive structure to make a really well-crafted product and maintain it over time. And and how do we reconcile these conflicting incentives or drives is a big challenge, I think, especially from a security perspective. Well, open source, of course, is uh, one of the drivers or the driver of the decentralization hype we are seeing at the moment. I mean, I'm not sure if it is a hype, but everything is going into decentralization. And of mm. course, blockchain is providing great opportunity uh, to it, um, for it. Mm -hmm. um, Bitcoin has been a decent, an open source project really, or, or is entirely. And, entirely. and um, so everybody is talking about de decentralization and the benefit of it. So, um, 
what is the key issue of decentralization and why uh, is it so um, so strong compared to traditional models? I, 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 let me, I'll push back a little bit on the, on the question. I'm not a fan of decentralization per se. I'm a fan of what works. And what works as in what goals are we trying to achieve? What outcomes? And then what are the most efficient and long lasting and beneficial ways of getting there? I think that everything has its pros and its cons. I'll, I'll use software as an example. Suppose you have a Microsoft out there, and I'm not a Microsoft hater. The Microsoft is obviously a centralized company producing centralized software that's not open source. You have a lot of benefits there. You can throw resources at a project. You can have people with employment relationships that allows for longevity of attachment. You can have intellectual property protection that motivates people. That monopoly that you get through intellectual property motivates people to create stuff um, like original works of art or software because they can reap the economic benefits. So it's, it's not that um, centralized is, is flawed per se, but what, but often centralization produces issues with you have people act not always in the best interest of the software or the consumers. They act in the best interest of the of the centralized entity that's producing the good, and so you get sort of, you get issues like incumbency, you get issues like you can't repair something that someone else made. You don't have necessarily the right to repair. You get these skewed incentives. You also get these sort of silos or, or the, you get trapped into certain platforms or systems when they're centralized because you can't easily port your data in and out. So the, it's not that centralization is inherently wrong. I mean, there's there's uses for it. Just that central, decentralization tends to allow for a diffusion of power and authority, which by definition, it creates more, more of a level playing field and more holes in the system or niches in the system, I should say, where we can all exist in the ecological spaces and not be washed out or not be suppressed by these monolithic powers. So I, I think I think the basic idea, if you like, is that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And decentralization is very related to the idea of democracy, which is you're separating out power, you're atomizing power, which is forcing people to cooperate in order to achieve goals rather than imposing their views upon others. And as the technological capacity um, increases and it makes centralization more, a power more dangerous. Uh, it becomes more and more imperative to break that power into smaller pieces and therefore force people to cooperate. But we have to be careful because extreme decentralization can lead to paralysis. And that's what we're seeing sometimes in open source. That's sometimes what we're seeing in DAOs. That's sometimes what we're seeing in various other things. You can't fracture power completely. You need still a way for people to collaborate despite being decentralized. And DAOs properly constructed allow that to happen. Well, okay, that's a, um, that really brings me to the next question because uh, these um, these DAOs is actually we're talking about automated companies where every all the underlying processes are automated, mm -hmm. and we're talking. We can even talk about uh, in Barcelona we talked about DAOs as a structure for or the base for a new form of governance and. Yep. Uh, organizing societies. Uh, I have a little bit of problem uh, with this idea. On the one hand, I like this idea of automated societies, of course, mm. uh, but uh, I also see a lot of risk in it. Uh, so uh, what makes you so positive about this uh, DAO approach? Well, I, first of all, I acknowledge your concerns, and I'll, I'll kind of get to those in a moment. I, my, my goal is, you know, I have these concepts of like a pirate DAO, 
or Rebel DAO or, or Skynet DAO. You know, just because something is on the blockchain, that doesn't make it like you know angelic and good. You got you know it it, it, it DAOs like like software programs will do what you program them to do. I mean, a, a drone to use a, a relevant example, a drone can either um, plant seeds or you know engage in a massacre. That doesn't make drones good or bad. They just have you know they'll do what we tell them to do. DAOs will tell do what we tell them to do. So they're not inherently good. They're not inherently bad, but they they do offer a very intriguing idea. And and I like what what you kind of pointed to there, and I'll, and I'll expand on it. We as humans only really accomplish great things when we operate in groups. Okay, even an individual, you know, the the Newtons of the world, the Einsteins, whatever they they. You can say they operate individually. Um, th that's true in an extremely narrow sense, as in they're producing a new idea or new intellectual work. Um, but they surely leveraged the efforts of those who came before them and their collaborators at the time. And to accomplish something large in the physical space, like a dam or an airport or a spacecraft, you know, we can all like Elon Musk, but to accomplish large things in physical reality, you need groups of people working together. It's just unavoidable. And you can either have some sort of very ad hoc system, or you can organize yourself. You know, so the the base unit of group activity that has a purpose is an organization. So I, I like how DAOs are named. It's it's not distributed autonomous company. It's a centralized autonomous company. It's a centralized autonomous organization. And then that organization can, can be tweaked and specialized to serve various functions. You can have one that's operating as a nonprofit. You can have one that's operating as a commercial entity. You have one that's operating as a religion, if you want. It's just a template or base object class, if you like, for more specialized uses. Why? Why is this so great? Why? Why? Why do this as opposed to the way we've done it before? Well, the way organizations have been created in the past is we've used these rigid models. The idea of a company, the idea of a nonprofit, the idea of a limited liability company, the idea of a game You have these distinct classes that you know where a few sizes are meant to fit all yet the range of human activity is fantastically diverse so they can't necessarily capture everything that we're trying to accomplish and we, we often shoehorn our activities inappropriately into models that don't work and are, are outdated they're also these traditional forms are very analog you know if you for the most part even if you apply digitally you're applying digitally to a central authority that will grant you a license. It's not automatic. Someone's reviewing it. Something's There's a process that's happening. And even now, a lot of these things are very paper-driven. It's a very archaic way of organizing our affairs. When you can organize companies or organizations immediately on the blockchain via software and set up highly specific ways of running them and, and governing them, you allow, a lot, you allow for instantaneous action, for flexibility, and for knowable, here's a big part, for knowable rules. If you if you and I form a, a traditional or legacy corporation, and, you know we're both shareholders, and we get into a fight over ownership, the rules that appear in paper may not actually govern our result. It depends on the judge, depends on the jury, depends on some random throw of the dice. Normal law is a little bit unpredictable, and that's part of the issues I had with it before. When you have computational law, you know automatic, as you say, you can predict the outcome of disputes in advance because the laws that govern it are software; they're clear. And that lets us modify our behavior knowing that and stay within the law. So you have massive efficiency gains, you have clear expectations, you, you can gain a lot. Um, but but again, it, it, DAOs are just like any other tool. You can have a DAO that's dedicated towards um, get money laundering. 
Okay, you have a DAO that's dedicated towards passing over long child porn. I mean, you, the the way you govern an organization is maybe separate from the goal of the organization. So we but need you, to. But you ahead. also you also can you use it uh, in an adjective way. I in mean, an that, adjective that, way. In an adjective, I mean, uh, it's always with these technologies. Uh, it depends. They do what you tell them to do, yes. and if you um, if you tell them the wrong, teach them the wrong things, then they will govern in a in a wrong or in a um, uh, exclusive way for for um, uh, for uh, certain people. Yes, I mean, you know, DAOs have the potential to become just a more perfect form of tyranny or a more perfect way of articulating human dreams and aspirations. They just do it much more much more quickly and efficiently and literally than prior forms of organization. If you have a company that has certain rules built in its articles or bylaws, and those end up being against the interests of the shareholders, the shareholders can go to court and change these things. And human beings, judges and juries can use their brains, realize that the way it's written doesn't quite make sense and change them. You, you have a potential system with DAOs where these software contracts, these smart contracts can become functionally immutable. And if they're immutable, there's no human being you can go to and go, hey boss, we didn't mean it to be this way, we actually meant it to be this way. And the boss goes, oh yeah, that's right, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll change it. We may lose the ability to modify these things, but that's not inherently bad. Okay, they're, they're, again, it's a pro and a con. The, the, our inability to change the emission schedule of new Bitcoin is a feature, not a bug of Bitcoin. Okay, it's why Bitcoin doesn't have inflation. If human beings were in charge of Bitcoin still and could change the amount of new Bitcoin coming out, then they might print out a thousand new Bitcoin every minute just to make themselves rich. The fact that they can't do that and it's immutable is what makes Bitcoin so great because it's inflexible monetary policy is a feature, not a bug of Bitcoin. If it was flexible, we'd have a problem. Likewise, we, we may want to create DAOs where there's a rule that never changes. I mean, I could see that happening. Okay, like, you know, never do anything that will destroy all of humanity. That's a hard rule. Okay, because I can't think of a single, you know, situation where we'd want to do that. But when you start getting away from the extreme cases, you get into these shades of gray and you have to balance between, you know, it's like every other system. Do you, you want some degree of predictability and future understanding what something's going to do, but you also need the ability to adapt for the times. And so it, it's an interesting puzzle. And one thing we talked about in Barcelona is, we're a very short step away from DAOs being essentially run by artificial intelligence, right? And we may want them to be run by artificial intelligence. It's not inherently bad, okay? And artificial intelligence often makes better decisions than we as humans do. And it can learn from experience and share with other artificial intelligence and analyze and replicate. It's not inherently bad. It's just, obviously, it's a little bit nerve-wracking because, we're, you, know, you know, like in the Matrix, you know, once we stop doing thinking for ourselves and give it to someone else, it becomes the Dow civilization and not ours. But that doesn't mean the individual decisions being made by the Dow are wrong. So, fun times. <laughs> fun so, times what, what could be the uh, the roadmap towards it? I mean, we are really stuck in our traditional systems, right. and to to migrate things uh, first needs a certain willingness to do so. Uh, I don't see at the moment. Mm. And uh, also, so, so what can be the path towards um, uh, towards a DAO future? And uh, to, uh, uh, the, uh, the problem is that it has been tried before. Uh, mm. The protagonists say, okay, it was uh, coded the, uh, the wrong way, but mm. the outcome was negative. It didn't, uh, it didn't work quite well. So what well, makes you, what makes gives you the optimism to say that it is, will be better in the future? 
Well, saying it didn't work the first time is saying I went to the gym one day and I didn't get muscles. I'm going to give up and stay at home and drink soda all day. No. Or just, you know, to say it didn't work the first time is like, hey, I practiced piano for an hour and now I can't play Mozart. It must not, it, this, this whole practicing piano thing must not be working. You know, Albert Einstein, you know, I'll, I'll do, drop another little logic bomb here. Albert Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and expecting a different result. Well, I, I say that's obviously ridiculous because you're not, you can never do the same thing again because every time you do it again, you, you are not, you, it's already happened before and you can learn from what happened before. The whole idea of life is feedback loops and improving based on prior experience. So you couldn't do the, you couldn't do the same thing for the first time ever again anyway, even if you wanted to. There's only one time you do it for the first time. And then you, there's only one time you do something for the second time. Every time is by definition new. So we can, we can learn from experience and we can get better. Humanity's main forward progress of history is learning from experience and doing or trying to do better. So I, I'm not negative on the idea of improvement. That's what innovation is all about. You know, you cycle and you learn and you experiment. This is the idea behind the scientific method. To get to the point of how do we get DAOs accepted, there's two roads that may sound like they're in opposition to each other, but they are actually synergistic. Road number one is work with different jurisdictions, the United Arab Emirates, Estonia, Switzerland, El Salvador, wherever, to get DAOs, Wyoming, to get DAOs recognized as legally, as legal entities. Okay, right now, there's no such legal entity except for Wyoming, sort of. There's no such legal entity as a DAO. So you don't have limited personal liability. You don't have the ability to enter into legal contracts. You don't have all the benefits of, of a traditional organization. So road number one would be to work with these jurisdictions, work with these regulators to get DAOs recognized. You know, to say an entity formed on the blockchain can be have these sort of traditional characteristics. That's the road number one. Road number two is, um, pardon me for saying this, give me a big juicy middle finger to the regulators and saying, whether you like it or not, you know, Bitcoin doesn't ask for permission. Bitcoin doesn't know that you exist. Bitcoin does what Bitcoin does. Well, you can say that about DAOs. When you form these entities on, for example, Ethereum, this global, unsensible, non-stoppable computer, and you form them on there, how can a regulator really stop it? How can they stop it? What are they going to do? They can attack the people who are involved. They can try to freeze wallet addresses, but the fundamental organization itself doesn't know about regulators, doesn't know that they exist, and isn't responsive to regulators. But so, also, but also, uh, people have to turn to it and use it. It, it. it can be there on the on the Ethereum platform, but if people not adapting it to it, uh, nothing is happening. So I think this too is another process we we need. Uh, people need to be, uh, yeah. No, I completely agree. Just to kind of wrap the prior point, but I think these two approaches can work in tandem. I think that it's like decentralized finance. The burgeoning nature of decentralized finance is forcing regulators to grapple with the issues in traditional finance in ways that they wouldn't have before. The burgeoning nature of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is forcing governments to grapple with the flaws and problems of fiat money, including especially inflation. So this, this pressure being produced by these unregulated but growing algorithmic ecosystems that don't know or care about regulators forces regulators to look at their existing systems and improve them in order to compete. So I'm kind of in favor of, I want DAOs that don't ask for permission to exist to put pressure on regulators to 
say, fine, DAOs are here to stay. How can we channel this more appropriately? And then to make it more attractive to have a regulated DAO than to have an unregulated DAO. They, regulators need to offer enough benefits to the DAO form that people choose to go with a regulated DAO rather than an unregulated DAO. That's, that's, so these things can work in tandem. Um, and then to address your point, in terms of, of adoption, the, yes, I mean, th that's a traditional issue with blockchain and crypto and all this stuff, which is how do you get people beyond a narrow technical elite to start using these tools? That's the issue, but that's the issue with almost every technology that's not inherently obvious to how to use. I mean, you know, how do I get my mother trading cryptocurrencies is an example I always use. You know, my mom's smart, but she's not, you know, I'm not necessarily a spring chicken and, you know, she's obviously gave birth to me, so she was around before I was. You know, how do, how do you get people to get, start using this? I mean, part of it is generational. Part of it is learning something new. Part of it is advocacy. And we, we haven't in the space done a tradition done a really good job in advocating it. We tend to talk amongst ourselves, but you guys are doing a great job with this podcast. You're just reaching out with these ideas. So I, I, my, my hat goes off to you. This is how we get people involved. And different people have different triggers. And, you know, you start att attracting people and you form a mass and then people learn. Perfect. Let's come to a conclusion. Gordon, what would you expect for the next three to five years to happen for the industry with DAOs? Um, I expect multiple. Great question. I expect multiple jurisdictions to come up with legally recognized DAOs. And there's going to be a, a battle between them as to whether they're just replicas of our traditional organizations brought onto the blockchain or those regulations allow for the novelty and additional features and benefits that a DAO can operate. I think there's going to be jurisdictional warfare, which I think is great, or jurisdictional competition, which I think is great. Um, I think we're going to see the first pirate DAOs or demon DAOs, whatever you want to call them. Um, a demon DAO, a D DAO. How's that? Uh, you guys, you heard you heard it here first. A, a demon DAO, which is a DAO that accomplishes that produces a negative effect, but that can't be stopped. We're going to see that, and it's, and it's going to live on basically forever. Uh, it's going to that, that's going to be interesting. A Bitcoin um, DAO. <laughs> say again. A Bitcoin DAO. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. Think But I just I think we're going to see lots of charitable organizations move to DAOs also, and and the venture capital model as well. I think based, the short answer is, all our traditional forms of organizing human affairs are going to start moving over into DAOs because it's just inherently more efficient and the way to go. That's a, that's the bottom line. Okay, cool. That was Gordon Einstein, who is the founding partner of Crypto Law Partners, who gave us an overview of decentralized autonomous organizations, so-called DAOs. Thank you for the interesting conversation. Two, the power of more from Brockmeier and Salo. Innovation thinking.